0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie, of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss, of Historical Firearms and the Armourers Bench. Welcome back to Fighting On Film. Now, last week and the start of this week has been huge for the war genre. Not only did we get the BBC premiere of their new SAS Rogue Hero series, see last week's episode for a preview if you haven't already seen it, But on the 28th, Netflix dropped their new adaptation of Eric Remarque's seminal novel, All Quiet on the Western Front. Maybe two of the biggest related media drops of the year coming in within a week of each other. Well, unless you count Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. (laughs) Matt, (laughs) you saw it, didn't you, the cinema? I did. I I was super lucky that one of the five
3: cinemas in the UK was within an hour of me in Manchester. Um, So I got to see it. Only five in the whole country yeah there, I, when I looked at listings there was a uh, there was only like maybe five six regions that had a cinema that was showing it. Wow um, I went down it was in a, a tiny uh, like 25 30 seat screen um, and it was remarkable i mm. I'm so glad that I went to see it on a proper big screen and get that full experience because it, it blew me away. <laughs> mm. I've got we have criticisms and we have a lot to talk about in this episode yes but visually it blew me away
2: yeah visually it's a treat it's a feast for the eyes it really is um and I think we'll come back to that a few times during the show I saw it at home on Netflix because it was a Is an instant sort of uh, I think it's a worldwide drop um yeah I think so yeah maybe you should just get straight into the production amount of it
3: sure so um it was directed by uh Edward Berger who's a German director. Uh, best known for doing a number of episodes of Deutschland 83, uh, the popular series. Uh, he's also done The Terror, which is uh, like an anthology series, uh, a bit of a horror thing. You might've seen that too. Um, he did Patrick Melrose with um, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, a couple of years ago. And then his most recent work, other than this, is uh, Your Honor with Brian Cranston,
4: okay. um,
3: where he's a, a judge and his son accidentally kills someone in a hit and run accident and so it all unravels from there it's quite good i think i've seen the I've trailer seen. for that yeah. yeah yeah and at the moment i'm quite excited to find out that he's actually working on a new adaptation of the 39 steps oh. with benedict cumberbatch Ooh. for netflix so that sounds really promising Ooh, that does sound um, good and I, I noted in a couple of uh online articles roger donaldson was attached originally to direct rather than Berger. right um which I thought was interesting. I I don't know how correct that is. Uh, it would have been a very different film, I think. Mm. The screenplay was uh, was written by Berger, Ian Stockel, and Leslie Patterson, uh, and obviously it's based on Eric Maria uh, Remark's uh, seminal uh, work, *All Quiet on the Western Front*. Uh, Remark was a conscript uh, in 1917, served with the 15th Reserve Infantry Regiment, and was badly wounded by shrapnel and invalided home. This is the third adaptation of the film. So we had one in 1939 by the Lewis Milestone. And then we had a 1970, I believe it was nine adaptations. Yeah. This was released, as as Rob mentioned, on Netflix. And it was produced by uh, Amusement Park. It was edited by uh, Sven Bundelma, um, who had worked with Berger on Deutschland 83 and, and lots of other TV. Um, and I just wanted to mention also this week, the music um, was by Volker um uh who has done uh work on hotel mumbai um uh gunpowder the i think it was 2017 at uh, a uh, uh, show that looked at the gunpowder plot
2: was that bbc um, i think i remember that i think yeah. it was
3: yeah with with um, um what's his name kit um, harrington harrington that's it yeah right no the, the soundtrack
2: the, the, is phenomenal in this, like the, the industrial beats with the classic mixed in, it's really
3: yeah, the, I th- something. Yeah, is it a harmonium? I think it might be a harmonium. Or right. A, um, something like that with those those really powerful, deep, mm. like three notes that, that become a motif from the yeah. very beginning of the film all the way through. We'll talk more about it, I'm sure. Really powerful. Remarkable. brilliant. Um, it's Germany's submission to the 95th uh, Academy Awards next year um, for Best International Feature Film and early the, buzz is that uh, it's gonna win it
2: the early buzz is I, very high
3: yeah i've i mean it's such a big list international mm. film um but it's it's definitely strong yeah and then finally um cinematography was by james friend uh a british cinematographer who's worked on the bbc's the musketeers uh hbo i think it's again i think it was hbo's um the war of the world's adaptation uh he's worked with berger on uh, patrick melrose and your honor and he's currently working on one of the new Star Wars series, Acolyte.
2: Oh, that one. Right, okay. Mm. That's yet to mm. be released, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's it's in the works right now.
2: Yeah, more and bloody that Star Wars. Production. Christ. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, it's no, like it, all a golden age,
2: Yeah, because it's so close to production, there isn't that much floating around out there, is there, yet? But think. it
3: is completely undisclosed, yeah. um, so we don't really know about that. But it certainly seems mm. to have been healthy. Um, mm.
2: Well, it's Netflix. They don't... Well, I think they're going to start, but they don't exactly... Give out their stats yet? Do they?
3: And we'll never know how many people saw it. Oh God, no, I don't think <laughs> because they never will. tell anyone. Or...
2: No, they don't. But you know, the fact it's been submitted to the Oscars um, is probably high praise enough, really. I think it's done well on the um, the, uh, the
3: awards circuit. You know, the mm. um, the like preview, pre- circuit, preview and, circuit, and yeah. the and the film uh, the film festivals and such.
2: Mm. No, I think you're right. So, moving on to the cast, and then we'll, we'll get some of your view, the listeners' views. Um, so the cast is, is made up of a lot of actors who won't be well-known outside of Germany or uh, to, to Western audiences. But the, the main protagonist, Paul Bounder, he's played by Felix Kammerer, and he's Austrian, and he's a theatre actor mainly, um, and this is his first feature in Credit. His only role, other than this, of uh, any film uh, film role, is a 1998 film called David in Wonderland, where he would have been three years old in that. Um, I think he played a small child in it, um, but this is a, uh, his first feature. I think he would have done yes. Mm. And um, his they were saying about casting him, that he came back and every time that he came back, he just gave more emotion, more raw performance, and they knew this was going to be their Paul. Um, and I do agree. I think he gives such a nuanced mm. emotional performance. He's got this very natural way of acting. Where well, he doesn't have to put on the melodramatics, it's all through the face. There's, there's a very theatre side of his acting, I think. It's not, he's not right. come from a tradition. It's for me at least, just watching as someone who did acting for a tiny bit of their life, it feels like he's learnt it from the theatre side first, coming over to film rather than mm-hmm. film and going over to theatre. Um, and he's fantastic. Then we have uh, Albrecht uh, Schuh, he plays Stanislas Kat Kaczynski. Uh, he's known for his work inside Germany. He's got a breakout role in a film called Measuring the World in 2012, where he played Alexander von Humblott, um, um And then he played the painter Otto Modison in Christian uh, Schuachow's uh, Paula in 2016. And he was the director of Munich, Edge of War, that we covered a few months back. Ah, um, uh, yes. Yeah, so there's a nice little connection there. Then we have Aaron Hilmer as Albert Krupp. Uh, he's another German. He played David in a 2020 Netflix series called Sleborn, which is like this pandemic on an island, and it's like a thriller-type thing. I think it did well because at the time it came out, COVID was starting, so I think it right. captured that yeah, <laughs> in a way yeah. that it didn't mainly intend to. But he's done lots of German TV work. Then we have Eden Hasanovic. He plays uh, tiaden Stackfleet. He's a Bosnian actor, but he's mainly worked on uh, German TV. Uh, he was in a film called 2012 Shifting the Blame, uh, the blame which he was nominated for a German Film Award, a German Film Critics Award. And then he was in a series in 2016 called uh, Family Brown, where he played a neo-Nazi, and he won a German TV Award for Best Actor in that. Then we have Mortis Klaus as Franz Müller. Uh, he's known for his German TV roles, and he was in a series called Leipzig Homicide, which is a German police procedural rounding out the boys we have adrian grunwald um he plays ludwig bem and he starred in slowborn with aaron and he also played uh, samuel in a 2020 miniseries called labyrinth of peace which is set in post-war switzerland which did the sound that uh, quite good actually wow. interesting. Mm. then we have uh daniel brull playing matthias erzberger he was the uh, one of the men who signed the peace treaty um, and then he was, a, I think he was Minister of Finance in the 20s.
3: Social Democrat, yeah.
2: Yeah. He was best known. Um, he'll be the best known actor in this to Western audiences because he was uh, Zola in *Inglorious Bastards*, uh, in the MCU as Zemo in Captain America Civil War and the Falcon the Winter Soldier. But my favourite role of his is uh, his portrayal of Nikki Lauder in Rush, if you've seen that. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, he's great in that. Really mm.
2: good in that. And he's probably the biggest name in this. Um, and I know early on... His name was attached and I was like, is he going to play Cat? Because he's too yeah. old to play Paul. I worried that... We did wonder. I mm. wondered they were going to pin him as, oh, OK, we can't do this movie and not have a big name. But I, it, he gets used in a good way. But I'm going to explain mm. why I don't think it's good later on. Because <laughs> yes. it takes some explaining. Yeah. yeah. Then we have uh, Tibalt D. I'm going to butcher this French surname, sorry. Montalab- Montalambut <laughs> plays Foch. Uh, and he's a French actor known for the sitcom Call My Agent, which was huge over lockdown. I remember it becoming quite popular. And now I think Netflix are making a an English version of it. And he also f- appeared. Well, it's
3: got to be better than a Netflix dub,
2: hasn't it? <laughs> well, God, yeah, we'll, we'll mention that. <laughs> and he also appeared in the 20, 2006 film Days of Glory, which is the one about North African free French soldiers, which I do quite like. Yeah, we, we need to cover that
4: one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we do. Um, and then we have uh, David Strissau as General Fredericks. Uh, he was uh, Fuhrer Herzog in 2007's The Counterfeiters that won Best Foreign Film in the 2008 Academy Awards, which I semi-remember watching, I think.
3: I haven't seen that on TV once
2: before. It did ring mm. a bell. And that's your main cast. There isn't. There's only a few characters of any real merit in there. We'll, we'll definitely else, talk a bit more about that. Yeah. Mm, everyone else is either just in it for a few lines, or they're not in it at all. I think this one really slimlines the cast down to its bare bones. It really does. Oh yeah. And mm. even then, it, it leaves things like characterisation and arcs very slim. Um, it wasn't mm-hmm. something that I think was at the forefront of this adaptation, but we'll talk about that later.
3: Yeah, it, it's purposely utilitarian in, in mm. that respect, definitely.
2: Very streamlined. Um, and even to the fact of that I couldn't I couldn't pick apart the, the boys at some point because I they just didn't do enough well, for me to go. That's the, that person. That's yeah, that
3: person. It, it narrows it down to like four. Mm. Um, and yes, I I I know what you mean there. Even cat um, is woefully underused until the very end. Uh, until yeah. the very end. Until yeah. they until they really develop him in mm. a fairly short space of time.
2: Like it, but I like the actor. I think oh, he did a good job. Fabulous. They're all doing a really good job. Like, and, and Felix is a breakout star. I mean, hopefully he's going to go on to be a really great German export, um, actor-wise, because mm. he's, he's got plenty of great roles in him. You can see it. So instead of a one-word review this week, we thought we would talk about some of our listeners' thoughts, because I put a, a tweet out on the day of release saying, has anybody seen it yet? So I'll just pick out some there. Lester Bandido, he said, found it rather cold. War scenes utterly gruesome. Characters may be lost in translation. A sense of comradeship through it, but loose. Worth a watch, though. Uh, Then we had Paul Kelly. Saw it on release in the cinema. Very different from other versions that I'm familiar with. He has, has made me want to read the book. Visually, it's superb and you get the references to the Second World War, but not sure it's as good as the other versions. And rounding us out, we had Tom McCall. He said, very mixed views, stunning, shocking battle scenes, some incredibly powerful emotional moments, but overall, there's little substance, story, or character development.
3: Yeah, we had a lot of people talking about that throughout um, that Twitter uh, post that you did. Do follow us at Fighting on Film as well. Um, we do a lot of posting over there. Also, on other social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera.
2: It's a great way to get involved with the show every week.
3: Twitter's is always a great place to get involved and, and chat with us. I, I agree with a lot of that. There's a lot. There's a lot there that is very true um, mm. and is is on the nose. Uh, I think there's more nuance to it than than some people have realised, and I think there's reasons why the characterisation is so stunted in places. Um, yeah, but we'll talk about that more uh, in a moment. Yeah. Should we move on to the Alley Tally?
1: It's time for Alley Tally on Fighting on Film.
3: With the Alley Tally, and seasoned listeners will know that this is where we discuss all the interesting and and cool kit that is on the show throughout the film. There's a lot here. Mm. it feels very authentic from the yes. uniforms and the, the, the weapons on show Germans have got Gewehr 98s. Um, the French have Berthiers. Um, there's lots of Maxim MGO eight action. Um, mm. we get a little bit of some French Hotchkiss gun, yeah. um, during one of the attacks. And there's a brilliant over the shoulder shot of the French machine gunners cutting down the, uh, the attacking nice. Germans. And that's, a lovely parallel to not only the 1970s version but also the 30s version there's there's some shots that i feel have to be done in a certain way yeah yeah
2: yeah. because there's that sequence in the 30s version where you get the the machine gun and you cut to like the line of french guys being cut down Mm. that's Mm -hmm. that echoes that a little bit there in that sequence
3: i think there's only a certain number of ways you can actually portray that in, in in an impactful way and i think that is the classic, but it works so well.
2: Yeah, it's such an iconic thing when you think of the First World War. It's machine guns. They're always brought yeah. in and in the media of World War One as well. You can't have a First World War movie without having machine guns in it at some point. So it is dealt with quite nicely um, and respectfully as well. I don't think this is war for war's sake. It's not, what's the word? It's not um, glorifying, I don't think.
3: No, it's it, it it is. It's um, it's purposeful. That's the word. Yeah. Um, and w- uh, we'll talk about this in a moment. But uh, rounding out the, the the firearms on show, we we actually see a uh, eighteen seventy three Chamelot Delvin revolver mm. in the French uh, French officer's hands towards the end, and also a French Ruby pistol, semi automatic.
2: Oh, is that what that is? Which w- that's nice. Yeah,
3: they were ubiquitous. They they were one of the French. Um, most used sidearms, mm. um, um, and they were just cheap little semi-automatic pistols that were made often in Spain. Um, right, and you don't see them very often in film. That's uh, nice, and and that's what spoilers. Of course, it's a spoiler review. Yeah, um, Paul struggles with one of the French um, towards the end of, of the film um, to to try and grab this ruby, and it's it's kind of like it's shot. The that that shot is is classic. Fight,
2: yeah, over it's a pistol a very cliché. Pistol trophy. in the
3: foreground, fights in the background, scrambling. Um,
2: you know, Paul's being nearly drowned, and he, and there's a there's the perfect rock placement so you can grab it. Yeah, yes, yeah, Check yeah, yeah. Chekhov's rock, you know, sitting over there. <laughs> um, it's um, but no, everything is put purposeful and dealt with well because the trailer, I think, really overdid it. Or what or, or I was expecting them to overdo the sequences with the flamethrowers. Because mm. that the trailer makes that look like a, a much longer sequence than it is. But it's only maybe a couple of minutes.
3: It does. And it, it, it almost feels like the trailer stacks them as being everywhere. Mm. Whereas in the film, there's a little bit more space between what's going yes. on. So it seemed like a wall of flame, but really what's happening is and it's i think from what what i've been reading is it's a fairly good representation of flamethrower use because the flamethrower is mentioned in 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 the book Mm. and both i think it's in both adaptations i can't remember whether it's in the 1930s one it's been a couple of years since i've seen it and we'll mention both versions throughout this but we're not going to do direct comparisons because i think that'd be actually something fun to come back and do with perhaps a guest
2: i think it's a little uh, bit unfair on on some level as well because Every single director who makes an adaptation is putting their own mark on it as well, mm-hmm. and it's made for the audience of that time. So, exactly, so there must have been people within the seventies being like, "This isn't like Lewis Milestone's version. You can't. Oh, what are you I, doing? I would imagine so." So, yeah, it, that's good this point. whole feverency over adaptations, I think it's, it's. I'll come back to it later, but I personally think if you are doing an adaptation, and this is just me, I think you could be as loose as you wish, um, because you will make at the, you know, at some level you are making your own piece of art as well. So okay, yeah, it just depends what you're being influenced by. Um, mm. well that's just me. But getting back to the yeah. kit and stuff, it's.
3: But, get just to finish off that point um, before I went on massive tangent. <laughs> um, the flamethrowers they seem to appear in like the second or third wave of the French yes. advance, which is in keeping, I believe, with how French use the the, the flamethrowers. Right, okay. The the uh, first line will be rifle and bar bomb armed troops and then it would be flamethrowers mm. to follow up and, and clear bunkers and stuff. And that definitely seems to be what's being portrayed in the film. Yeah. Um and of course we can't really talk about Ali Tally without mentioning the saint Oh I think they are yeah. I mean they're I mean see.
2: Yeah, it's incredible to see them. Um and to see any sort of French tank really because we see a lot of you think of tanks in the First World War, your mind goes to Mark One's Male and female. Mark 4s. Mark 4s, yeah, they're iconic. Maybe a Whippet tank, if you're lucky. FT's have appeared in
3: a few films.
2: Yeah, um, they have. But to get a sort of Charmande is incredible. And I think they're built on BMP chassis. Yes. But the, the mock-up's fantastic. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure who's responsible for that, but it, it's, it's they're just used that's, so that's well. It.
3: One of the things I tried to find out when I was looking into production side of things, I couldn't even find a historical advisor for the film. Um, wow. And there must have been one. Because yeah, of course. It's, um, it, it wouldn't be half the film it is without some no, historical not all. accuracy in some of the sort of points it hits. Um, but the, the fact that they went for a practical tank and then I think some CGI yeah. for the others in the background, but it just... It just works really well. There's and a lot of in camera we'll talk- in
2: this, actually, which is really nice. There
3: is. We'll talk about the the tank sequence, I think, in more detail in a moment. Mm.
2: But
3: there was also a couple of things that were missing for me. I thought it was interesting. Not that they needed to be in there, but there were no um, Sturmtruppen with their MP18s. No, there I mean, wasn't Obviously, like that. by this point in the war, a lot of them have been killed.
2: <laughs> yes, true, true. <laughs> and they were yeah. still
3: around. Um, no MGO 815s. No. Like machine guns. Um, Again you could put that down to them being with the Trooping. True. Um but there were no um TIGAVA, the anti-tank rifles. Oh yeah, you think big they were.
2: Yeah. Anti-tank rifles. Well, yeah. I thought that was just because in that sequence they've attacked that trench line. They've taken it. They're attempting to reinforce it and defend it and then they they get swamped too quickly and all their secondary yeah. stuff hasn't come up yet. That's what I thought, I possibly. Quite that possibly. sequence was representing, yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, but it's nice to see that sequence of attack, counterattack, retreat. It, it It's its own little way showing the sort of how we imagine the Western Front war in the Western Front yeah. to be like, you know.
3: And I think the previous adaptations of the book have a lot to do with how we perceive yeah. that fighting on the Western Front because that's very much characterized in the 1930 uh, version of the film Attack, Retreat, Attack. But basically I think the adaptation of the book initially has a lot to do with um, how later films have portrayed the, the actual war as well. I think it's definitely a um, a touchstone for yes. a lot of films that followed it.
2: No, I think you're right. For now as well, how we look back at the First World War, it's more than any other conflict I can think of, it it's one that w- we have this sort of. It was horrific. It was mud. It was blood. It was, yeah, you know, innocent boys being sent into this mechanical machine to be churned up and spat out. It it. Mm. This one for me feels like that more than, more than nineteen seventeen, more than any other, post ninety nine nineties adaptations of the first world war I can think of off the top of my head now. But it, mm. it for me this one is a lot more in a sort of non-tropey sense. Yeah,
3: maybe there's elements of the classic understanding of the, of the conflict definitely in there, but it's not trying to go for, it doesn't feel overtly tropey.
2: No. And I it's not overtly mean. romantic either. I think. God, no, no, no. It's not trying to batter you over the head to make you care about these characters as much as 1917 did for me. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I think, you know, spoilers for 1917, but when the, when the small chap gets bent, if it gets knifed in the middle, that—that's yeah. trying to pull at your heartstrings, being like, "Oh, he's so young, and oh, he died for nothing," na- you know, died trying to be kind and all that. But whereas this one is, war's horrible. People do horrible things because they have to. It's kill or be killed, and that's what I felt. that this movie's trying to get through to the to the viewer is that mm-hmm. humans aren't. Intrinsically aren't meant to do this, but it is something that we have in ourselves that we can do. But then we can Mm. learn from it. We can. Yeah. We have to go forward. I got this whole thing of going forward, not only in a a, attack sense, but when they're talking about like how it's going to be after the war, I felt like this whole theme of going into the future better and learning from it. But then they, then I think Kat says, you know, we're going to be time travelers in a landscape in of the past. And that really and that might be the bad translation, but that stuck with me because it I was thinking, oh, you know these people that have fought this war are never going to be the same, and that's how I felt this movie presented its view of yeah. the war, yeah, and I got a bit off topic that, there but
3: that that part is probably where it channels remark the most, I think
2: yeah, and I think you're right, it does that's where it, the 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 themes come through a lot more because there's a part, the whole mm. swathes this film that <laughs> we'll get back to that. <laughs> Well, that's a great uh, moment
3: to move into our favourite scenes, I think.
2: Hello, Robbie here. Did you know you can support the podcast on Patreon? Join the supporting cast today and gain access to exclusive perks, such as discount codes, our monthly Patreon film votes, and the chance to get exclusive merchandise before anyone else. Search Fighting on Film on Patreon or find the link on our website. Thank you. Now back to the show. So Matt, favourite scene this week?
3: I'm going to go for the opening. I loved the opening. I mean, loved is probably the wrong word there, but I I was really struck by the way the film opened. It begins with a stark forest, um, autumnal, cold, um, tonally very blue and cold, beautiful, really nicely shot. And then we, we get this little sequence of a fox with their cubs. And maybe it was just me imagining it, but it sounds like there's rumbling yep, I got in that. the distance. Yeah. Um, and that's either gunfire or that is the foreboding. It's like thunder of before a storm.
2: Coming. Yeah, that's what I got.
3: Exactly. Um, and then we get this powerful, again, foreboding score that builds um, and has this, I think it's three-note theme, where it's like, boom, boom, boom. Hmm. And it just, it. it's so gut shaking it grabs you it's like a mechanical Um, sort of march like trudged mm, type sound yeah it feels it feels um almost like it's unstoppable
2: yes that's Um, it like
3: an unstoppable force it's like a horror score isn't it almost Mm. yeah it's 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 like an organic zimmer score
2: okay yeah yeah that makes sense
3: like without without having like the um the overused
2: flop yeah. sounds. Yeah, it's not that. No, yeah. it isn't that. Yeah, but it it
3: but it it's feels like it. yeah. Yeah, it feels um very primal, I think. That's it. Um and then we move into this absolute absolutely visceral nightmare of a battle. Um and you think is this Paul? We we've we have this brilliant tracking shot of um a chap running. Um begins in the trench and then he's running through through no man's land. I think his name's Heydrich. Um or because he gets called a number of times. So we mm. find out that he's not Paul. And you're wondering why are we following this this chap? There's a very gritty, visceral, almost appalling battle going on. Yeah. Um he takes
2: his shovel out and he runs at a French guy and it cuts.
3: He does. He does, right. yeah, that's right. But he's killed. And we see this um processing of the dead bodies are being um buried there's um blood on the floor they're putting um boxes into a mass grave
2: yeah
3: um and then they 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 take the uniforms from the men that have been killed and they process those they they wash them the the blood from the uniforms pours across the floor in the laundry um and then we cut to this factory floor where there's Dozens and dozens and dozens of women working at sewing machines, sewing little cloth patches over shrapnel holes, bullet holes, um, mm. onto all these tunics and, and, and trousers and other elements of uniform. And it's this salvaging of uniforms then feeds into the first time we see Paul become a soldier because he's at the, at the, um, the enlistment center where he turns up and, and hands over his papers and he gets handed a bundle of clothes, uh, uniform. And he, he stops as he's walking away and he goes, Oh, these belong to someone. And he turns back to the, the processing officer who just, just rips the tag off, off the, the uniform. Mm. Um, and he says, Oh, it must've been sent back. It was too small or something like that. That's it. And yeah. then he just drops it on the floor and on the floor by his feet is a small pile of yeah, of labels that he's ripped off.
2: It's such clothes. an affecting little sequence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I really and that it...
3: that whole sequence itself could just be a short film
2: about yes. war. <laughs> mm. because... the, the machine of war, the cog of war, yeah. that the, the sort of never ending, this of it. But I thought it, just to quickly jump in there, it was that one of the few sequences in a war film that I think where you see like the burial detail. Yeah. the aftermath and of the, the uniforms
3: the processing of the yeah, uniforms Yeah, things like that the never seen that world. before
2: you don't get that it's a nice yeah. really nice little glimpse into it's like it's a
3: really interesting montage of them being taken from the dead mm. thrown in bundles onto a train being washed being repaired being handed back over to the next group of men that are about to go into the same meat grinder
2: yeah wearing dead man's clothes
3: yeah yeah, wearing it's, it's, clothes. yeah and i thought it was very powerful i i was really struck by that
2: yeah that opening is really good and then and then i feel like it almost goes too quick and then stops but we'll get onto that later It, it, it yeah we need to talk about timeline for it obviously yeah we um, do
3: because there's there's uh there's some changes there but before we did that what was what was your favorite scene
2: so my favorite scene was so there's a the section with the charmon tanks where they beat them away, and then they stop retreating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes after a really visceral, brutal trench clearance scene, where Paul yeah. is uh, killing people with uh, entrenching tools. His yeah. friends are going through a trench, clearing it, a Frenchman shooting them a point-blank range. Grenades. Yeah. It's really, it's some of the best trench fighting sequence I've seen in a movie um, that gets the closeness of it all. Mm. Um, and the soundscape of it is really overwhelming and It doesn't stop, it's relentless. And then, so this makes sense. So talk about that scene first, that sequence first. So Paul's then going away and he's retreating and he gets into a shell hole and he's trying to act um, dead, but he's got his knife in his hand. And he turns around and and sees a French soldier aiming a rifle at him, Um, Mm a Frenchman. And there's an explosion and the Frenchman falls into the, the crater and Paul instinctively runs over to him and engages him in a fight. And Paul stabs him eight times, 12 times in the heart. Yeah. And it's very up close. You see it all. Um, it's like a mid shot. Um, and I, this is in the 1979 version, I think in the 30 version as well.
3: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a key part of it. Key part all, of yeah. the
2: book, yeah. I think this is the best depiction of it purely because of Felix's acting. So once he's mm. killed the Frenchman, you got the frenchman gasping for air dying and paul goes through the seven stages of grief so he can't stand it at first can he no he can't he, he can't stand the noise he wants the guy to be quiet he he's put his hands over his head he's trying to stop he, he tries to drown the man with mud um and then he feels remorse and he feels grief and he goes over and he tries to save the man it's just the look on his face the expressions that that. uh felix musters in this sequence is you know if he doesn't get some sort of award nomination for his role alone i think it'd be a disservice to him because it's a breakout role i think this movie gets his change at that this is why i like the scene so this is the scene where he his reality is brought to him first because he's gone through this war fighting with his friends fighting with cat with um franz with uh, Krupp and then he's on his own and he takes a life on his own. He hasn't got anyone to sort of lean on or move on to the next And he's dugout. stuck in that trench. There's and no he can't, movement. He can't move. He can't escape it. Yeah. So he has to come to the reality. He has to come to the realisation of what he's doing.
4: Mm. And
2: it's where he, his humanity comes back and then his humanity leaves him again after that sequence, I feel. And it's mm-hmm. only when he's with his friends again, that he feels human. And there's this really good sort of exp- exploration of that psyche of his character, which unfortunately the movie didn't do t- for anyone else, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at least Paul gets this moment where he, the reality of war comes home to him and he's like, oh my god, this is awful. Um, what have I done? And it's such a striking little sequence. And it's one of the few times in the movie where the movie just does slow to a to a pace and really gets you in with mm-hmm. one sequence yeah, I, I really thought it was such a powerful sequence yeah my favorite well my most affecting scene i can't say favorite that's yeah, the wrong word that's probably the best way of describing it yeah yeah really
3: powerful um the the lead into that i think is equally interesting so that the the tanks are advancing um and they futilely try and fire you know their rifles at it um which they would have done. They would have definitely done that, and it that would have had an effect. Um, so it isn't as futile
2: as it would seem. Now it does, because cause... we have better knowledge of tanks. But for some of these chaps, that's the first time they've ever seen a tank. <laughs> it could yes, be. Yeah, yeah.
3: It, it certainly could be. Obviously, I, th- I think some people commented that the the tanks, the reaction they have to the tanks wouldn't have been as terrified. Because no, they I don't would have think known so. About them for at least two years at that point. Perhaps um, some of the, some yeah. of the guys. But yes, that doesn't but... mean they have individuals no. have seen the tanks. Mm. Mm. It doesn't mean they've encountered them before. It doesn't mean um, it doesn't make the tank any less terrifying Scary. when it's approaching <laughs> yeah. towards you. Yeah. You know, there's like four of them firing their seventy-five millimeter guns and machine guns at you. You're still going to be terrified. Mm. Um, and I I thought it was really interesting to see them knock out a tank with hand grenades. Yes, so that was... you, never seen
2: you see that in them, the first um,
3: world war film before. Cat throws a, a stick grenade into the tracks, and then someone posts one through a, a rifle slit, a machine gun slit, sorry, in the um, in the actual side of the tank, mm-hmm. and that does the trick. And they, they they manage to knock one out, and that is that is how Germans knocked out Allied tanks initially. Yes. Um, and then they developed of air and direct fire artillery became the, the the key ways of knocking tanks out, mm. but. I really thought it was interesting that they they showed that little sequence of mm. how they 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 could knock a tank out and yeah that whole sequence with the tanks and the flamethrowers is very interesting yeah because we see and it's it's very effective too because uh, I think it's Franz is killed by the flamethrower as he's trying to yeah, surrender
2: yeah burn alive um, yeah. yeah
3: and that's that's kind of horrific mm. um uh. As I said, I think, I think it's interesting that the film showed the shock that the tanks create amongst the Germans. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it broke them, didn't um, it? It broke their advance. It does yeah, it? yeah.
3: And I mean, we, we have to talk about that sequence where the the tank drives across the tank the the, the trench.
2: Yes, um, it it goes in and comes out, and it. There's a chap lying there, and he goes to stop. And Paul watches, and yeah. Paul sees it, and he just gets flattened. You know, yeah. in in accounts, Screaming underneath the, the tracks. Yeah, yeah. I've I've read accounts of of people. This is Second World War accounts, but when someone witnessed uh, a German soldier get uh, ran over by a, a tank, and he said that it, it it's it's gruesome.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Listeners, but he said that you'd imagine a body to pop, but it, it mm-hmm. didn't. It just got flattened. And mm-hmm. and this the the movie does that. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. do the uber um, um, gruesome thing if you think it's going to be like a gush of blood everywhere.
3: Yeah. Well, it, it was incredible to see it on a big screen. It was I bet it horrific. was. Yeah, um, no, 100%. And, mm. and the terror of, uh, I can't remember who it is, but I think it's Paul and Kat and someone else, and, and it, it runs over the top yeah, of screaming. their area of the trench. Yeah. And they just, they just, they just screen. Mm. And, and you can. You can imagine it. You, yeah. it. That would totally be how you
2: would react to that. It, what, it's terrifying. I can't think of any other way. And But there's something that's oh. well, well, I wanted to mention, I should have mentioned in the tally, really, but quickly before we move on to our, some of our gripes that we have. Um, is I, I felt like this, in this world of sort of post, I'd say post-Same Project Ryan era of making war films where everyone's been on a boot camp, everyone's had a military advisor. This movie mm. felt to me that they'd had that, but then somehow I I preferred the way that this movie had handled it. So when men are working rifles, when men are fighting, it felt—I'm sure it was choreographed. Yes. I'm sure yeah. it was choreographed, but it felt less choreographed than I think we're used to. Like you had chaps that were you're really working hard to rework bolts, and it, you know the fr- the franticness of combat. It, it, when when Paul
3: is trying to reload as yeah. those tanks are approaching, and and the um, the flamethrower teams are approaching he is really struggling to get mm. that clip into the into the action um and and so is i think albert as well he's really he just can't he can't do it he, yeah. he's yeah. too scared he's he's just too frightened mm.
2: um and every, and i think it's a sound thing as well everything felt really punchy and weighty yeah you know like it, it you know when men got hit it, it's it's not like a it, where people just slump down people were getting you know the the, the hit of a bullet felt weighty like it should yes take the knocking, sound design on this film yeah. is incredible you know the wing um, gets knocked I, out and then when
3: they get hit by it, a bully. it sounds it sounds amazing mm. another another element of that rob jump, jumping off that is in that opening sequence the the character that we follow is frantically working his bolt
2: yeah
3: and he's firing with it out of the shoulder he's not looking down his sights he's just firing mm. yeah it's, and there's so many accounts of that and and Studies that have gone into this of men just firing the blind, yeah, because yeah. they know they need to do it, and they're just putting
2: rounds downrange. Yeah, as fast that, as they I can't think of the can. statistic off the top of my head, but there's that in the Vietnam War statistic of for every, yeah. you know, x amount of rounds for actual genuine wound made by yeah. American yeah. like killing or wounding of an enemy combatant by American soldiers, like you, the disparity between ammo fired and actual. Mm-hmm you know is is incredible. So yeah that is definitely something you read. Um you know, but they, they I think that's when the that's when the movie's at its strongest. So maybe we should go into final thoughts and talk about some things maybe we didn't like, maybe we did.
3: So I, I think it's interesting that Berger decided to begin the film in 1917 rather than 1914, um, where the the book and the earlier adaptations begin, because it it cuts out a significant portion of context, and we we join Paul in this fervor of he's at school, he's gonna sign his parents' name for them, so he can join the rest of his mates going off to the front yeah um and then they're on the they're on the back of a, a, a laureate at one point singing um this time next year in paris mm. um which by 1917 i i'm not sure um the fervency and the belief in that would have been
2: as strong as it was in 1914 see it depends um, where it I, because if it's the if it's the cars if it's that part um, yeah
3: yeah if they if they're if if that is what they're going for that works um, yeah, especially
2: if well they're showing the naivety of them like I didn't mind that exactly much.
3: and it, it illustrates that really nicely mm-hmm. um but I thought it was really interesting they decided to do that because in a way that might even be a reference to remarks own experience he joined in 1917 sure and fought through to until he was wounded in mm. um, early 1918, I think. um So maybe, maybe that's what they were drawing from. But it kind of affects the chronology of the film in a in a way that stunts it towards the end, where they try and cram a hell of a lot into like four days.
2: Yeah, yeah. The pacing, um, the pacing and timing is a little bit quick. Yes. Uh, I think yeah um, and because uh, I mean before you was before we started recording you, you had to remind me that when they steal that goose it's only like a couple of months later when they st- try and steal that goose again and then cat gets brutally yeah, wounded yeah. and I was like well wow, thought hang on I thought that was in 1916 or 1917 I you know I mm-hmm. because of how I thought well that can't possibly be that close yeah it, it was jarring to it's, me a little bit it's it's
3: it's a little tricky because they do put updates on the screen mm. um and give you some idea of that, but the chronology like, is a, a little bit compressed for yeah, me yeah,
2: and I just felt that was to just keep keep reminding the the uh the viewer who maybe not be as uh, clued up on the first world War being like oh just just remember it's so close to the end of the war yeah. uh, it was this whole thing of oh the eleventh of November's coming how you know how's this gonna go because we know. Uh, the war's gonna end and you know we know it but the characters don't that's what I thought it was that whole um you know where we know and they don't cite thing hmm mm. I thought
3: another element I'll I'll cycle back to some of the things I liked in a moment because there's plenty I <laughs> did
2: yeah, like of course, film. Of
3: course. um I thought that cat and Paul's deaths which are remarkably changed from the actual source material were a little bit jarring, and the final battle as well is jarring because the final battle doesn't appear in the in the source no, material or in any of the films. That final battle is almost like they're trying to force home the um, madness, the pointlessness. Yeah. yeah, the madness, the pointlessness of it.
2: Yeah, I did. I got that too, but I, I think it was. And See, I what... know they're
3: referencing things that did happen, fighting that was ongoing. Yeah on yeah. the last day of the war.
2: Yeah, there were guys that were killed cool. after, weren't there? The armistice was yeah, signed. Yeah. But I didn't mind it as much I, because I, I felt like the ending of this one was stronger than the 79 version that I've seen more. I haven't, seen, I haven't even seen the, the 30s version years back. um, But I think the 79 version, for me, I, it ends too abruptly, whereas I prefer the way that this built up to the death. And it continued the themes of just like how apathetic Paul is going into that battle. He's just resigned to it, and after yeah. seeing all his friends die, he you get the feeling that he's not he doesn't care about death anymore. He doesn't well, care about that's surviving the way we anymore. wrote it. Yeah,
3: he isn't supposed to give a shit about his his own safety and life anymore. Mm. He's lost um, that essence of um, humanity almost. And the way that the the film's end of with him reaching out or or looking out towards a butterfly or a bird are,
2: yeah.
3: uh, I think, it, it's a it's a butterfly in the thirties version. The book and it's, it's a, a bird, bird in the
2: seventy nine. Yeah. In the
3: in the seventy nine version, um, the 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 twenty two version of this film loses all of that poignancy of oh, him being oh, yeah almost resigned to death and lo- a, a, a loss of humanity. He sees something beautiful, and he's so struck by it he forgets all danger.
2: Yeah. And shot. See that. See, I'm. I'm. This is probably the first time we don't agree <laughs> on a. On the rare times we don't align, um, because I that ending in 79 for me is too twee, because he's it's too cheer. He seems too cheerful when he's writing his. You hear his letter. Yeah, I'm not saying the 79 version is. The best
3: version. No, 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 no! I didn't
2: take it as that.
3: Um, I think, I think that the the him seeing something beautiful and almost becoming distracted, or he wants to die. You could read it that way too. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, get it. Yeah, it's a little
3: bit more poignant. I suppose it's also worth remembering that the endings of the other two films are also like significant adaptations, small but significant, to the book, which doesn't actually describe him being um, killed. If I remember rightly, it just says that he, he dies on a quiet day. But I totally... I know what you'll you'll say in a moment about that ending, and I completely agree with you that the way he dies in this film has its own poignancy.
2: Yes, it, but it could have had so much more. Um, mm. So, because in this one, obviously, we mentioned earlier, he has a fight with the French guy, then they roll into a dugout together, Yeah. and he looks like they're going to duke it out to the bitter end, you know, the minutes of the First World War remaining, the armistice can be... It all... It almost looks like they're going to stop fighting and talk. Yeah, and they they engage in eye contact mm. and Paul stops and he has this look this surprised look on his face as if he's like mm. I can't believe what we're doing right now. And mm-hmm. it's a moment of clarity. And I really loved it and the French guy's looking at him. And this like what are they going to do? They're going to charge at each other? Is the movie going to cut to black? What the hell is going to happen? And then uh if, it it really got me because I'm obviously it's, you're you're locked on Paul. And then you see him react, and he gets a French bayonet through the heart. Yeah, I liked it because it was. (laughs) It's 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 mirroring earlier when you stabbed the French man in the heart. You know, it's like you live by the. Mm. You knife someone to death. You've you get the same back. It's that whole thing of, you've killed, in a movie, and you shouldn't have killed. So you will be killed. It's Film karma. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's film tropey karma, but it works. And then you get this beautiful shot of um, here. He slumps to his knees, and you get this beautiful shot. And I'll put a screen grab up of it on the Twitter. And it's him on his knees. He's he's blacked out, silhouetted, and you've got the dugout entrance, and it's white light. And it hangs on that for maybe 10, 15 seconds. And it's a it's mm. a beautiful piece of cinematography. I really think it I is. I thought it would end there. I did. I thought it would end there. And then here's where my gripes come in because. It cuts away to a clock that shows eleven a.m., and you get a little sequence of chaps wandering around, dazed. You've got guys sort of like letting German troops go, go back a to their lines. point where own someone eyes. shouts, "It's over." Well, that's it's eleven a.m. That yeah, that bit. Once, once, and um, you're like, would they really have done that in the kind Paul, of fighting that they're engaged in? Yeah, because Paul's been stabbed at that point, and you hear that. You hear go, it's eleven A. M. And I'm like, Oh for God's sake, come on, that's a bit much. It's a bit ham fisting. Mm-hmm. Ham fisting. Very on the nose. Very on the nose. And then we cut back to Paul and he somehow got the strength to go up the dugout and go outside and die in the air and the die in the light. And that for me was too much. I think you you missed your part. You missed your chance to have that. Meaningless death, which I think in the seventy nine and thirty version, that is what it's going for. It's this meaningless death, because all of them die meaningless death, don't they? All of them do. Yeah. yeah. But
3: there's for no Paul, heroes in this film.
2: No heroes, no. But for Paul, it's like, he, if he'd waited a couple, if if the, the French guy behind him waited a couple of minutes, if he'd waited a couple of minutes, he'd be dead. He'd be alive. But I don't like the way that it goes. And then to have my second gripe which is perhaps my biggest one, actually. Um, What the hell is Daniel Brawl's other film doing in this movie? It feels like a fan edit. I can't (laughs) not mention it. (laughs) Because you get Daniel Brawl in it, and he's in the the train carriages trying to sign the treaty of... You know, the treaty to do the armistice, the armistice treaty. It feels like a fan edit. It feels like someone's made a treaty of of Versailles film, and you've cut it in. The way it struck me
3: is that it either needed more or it needed to be cut completely because there's a little bit of context of him being um, handed a report saying this is how many have died today, which is okay. And then he goes into a meeting, which you don't see with the, um, the German high command, the officers are seen in the um, in their briefing room in the, in the headquarters uh, Through a door, he goes in. The door closes, and that's that's the that first introductory scene with Bruhl. And then we see him on the train, headed to the negotiations. The famous negotiations uh, inside the train carriage in the woods. Um, and I was quite excited to see this. I thought this is great. This hasn't really been done um, in any great detail uh, in other films. Um, this is going to be an interesting element to the film, but there's so much context um and just uh exposition that is forced in around that um where it explains that we're losing too many men um the the people are going to mutiny that and and none of it's shown it's all just said it's exposition which is fine yeah it is um but it's rushed i think is is one of my main complaints with this because we see the negotiations Brule is portrayed as being someone who wants to end the bloodshed right now. Um hmm. and the French are portrayed as as being um unmoving, unwilling to compromise, which is there's definitely an element of truth to that. And yeah. they're shown as being very vengeful in the peace that they want. Um and I, I get the feeling that while there's truth to that, a lot more of that comes later at Versailles where the actual peace is negotiated. And there's there's almost throughout some of the sequences with um, Brule and the and the French and with uh, Fried is it Friedrichs the general the German general that's it. yeah um who is talking about because he's the archetypal Prussian general and uh, and it's really interesting to see that portrayed mm. um, and I, I think you could you could go into detail and depth about that's and just talking issue about with the way all... he's portrayed
2: yeah. all these people are interesting but they're not. It's too much for this.
3: Well, they're not fleshed out, and no, they can't be because they exactly can't. They haven't got time to flesh out the main yeah. cast, and they don't want to do. Which I'll talk about. That yeah, because
2: I know you're doing an adaptation, and it's a very loose adaptation in places. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but this is this isn't in the original anyway. So that's why yeah. it feels so out of place. In, give give
3: bruel his his armistice negotiations film
2: yeah do that cuz you could yeah. you could do
3: it i'd watch that cuz i think if, i'd um, like to see a, a cut. story to tell there on its own
2: there is 100% i'd like to see a fan cut of this movie with those sequences taken out and even take out the parts with the general i don't think you need yeah. all of his backstory either just show his his speech cuz i think that's enough yeah. i don't yeah,
3: think you, you need do anything else from him um, they're setting him up as this archetypal Prussian officer who is nothing but a soldier and knows nothing other than soldiering. Yeah. Um, And he's hell-bent on winning a final victory before the peace is declared. And that's enough. Which is his nightmare.
2: Yeah, that's enough. Um, like, just show him saying to the chaps, you gotta go and do what I say. Yeah. You it's know. a little
3: ham-fisted, but it, yeah. Yeah, it's in there. That takes me to my main issue with this. At this point in the war, we are during the 100 Days Offensive... Offensives... Um, where the Allies have been chasing German field forces for about three months. Mm -hmm. The Germans are in full retreat. They've broken at the Hindenburg Line and they're falling back through Belgium at this point of the war. Yeah. The line is fluid, more fluid than the stalemate of the middle of the war, which is effectively what they're kind of portraying with this. And the original film deals with that because the chronology is extended. Sure. In the original book because those initial battles were well the the, the central peace battles of of the um, the earlier adaptations of this they're ostensibly set in during the the, the German spring offensive and yeah. a little bit after. So the the stalemate that gets shown kind of works more mm-hmm. I think whereas mm-hmm. in this they wouldn't have been in in such fixed trench lines because the germans were in retreat mm. so i think of course there's parts of the line that wouldn't have been and we can just headcanon and say that that yeah. part of the line yeah hadn't hadn't moved as much um but there's no real mention of why the war is ending for germany there's no real mention of yeah they take well, all that yeah mm-hmm. we're losing a lot of men but they're not explaining why they're losing a lot of men yeah, they're losing they a lot that. of men because their cohesion is broken the Allies are on the offensive and their line is is collapsing and they're falling back mm. and they're taking huge casualties.
2: Yeah, they take all that time to show the treaty being signed, but then they don't do the stuff, they don't explain the stuff you think they would. You know? Yes. If, if you'd had an exposition dump of Brawl, Brawl's character being like, oh, still retreating, are we? Oh, they better stop this before we lose all of our boys. You know, it's just a simple little well, bit of I mean, dialogue, there's, there's... surely
3: if you did a film around the negotiations and the collapse of the of the um, imperial german army hmm. and the government at the time that would be fascinating because you'd have you'd have himberg you'd have the social democrats the the wranglings between them yeah, and the exactly. final realization that, that, that they had to had to seek an armistice 100% and the reasons behind it the the blockade people starving people the navy's mutiny and the kaiser's abdicated. It's it's collapsing. There yes. is there isn't a Germany for for them anymore. It's 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 falling apart as the war is collapsing and mm. ending. But I don't think this we get a real right sense of that.
2: Place, and this isn't the right film to do it in. No, there? no. This,
3: this film should be about the personal experience yeah. of the frontline and, soldier.
2: And then that's where my second third gripe comes in. Is as good as those sequences are. Cut them personally, but then it shouldn't take you fifty minutes of your two and a half hour movie to get into Paul's character as much as you do in mm-hmm. that crater sequence. Because until that time, that's the thing about that the the first forty minutes is that really quick sequence where he gets into the army. Then you got this really quick yeah. se- sequence where they're at the front and the 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 dugout falls the in, collapses in on them. Yeah, yeah. And then you get yeah. a little bit where they're going to find reinforcements. But in none of that time do we ever get to know these characters properly. They get no. snatches and snippets of dialogue here. It's not enough for me to care enough. I, that Maybe that's the point of it. That, you know, showing the shortness of their careers at the front line. Showing how fleeting life was on the front for some people. I understand that. And perhaps it's not. they're not going for that traditional arc, traditional characterisation. That's fine. Yeah. But Paul is the only character that is fleshed out between the guys. And then you get a little bit of cat. I would have preferred having a little bit more of cat and just a little bit less. I feel like we get
3: more of cat than we do of Paul. You do? Because we, we learn about his son that has died of smallpox before the, before the war. He's got got a wife. Um, he's a cobbler. There's a social class element where they discuss what they'll be like after the war. Mm. Um, uh, Paul says we'll have to do something big after the war and and Cat just kind of goes quiet and cuts him down and says Paul I'm I can't read I'm a I'm a cobbler um you're educated you need to go to college and do do the best you can mm-hmm. um and that was a really telling scene um and I felt like we got more of Cat there, and we got a lot of Cat when he's having the letter read to him by Paul as well. Yes, I, do, yeah, we I did. Honestly, I no, I do right. kind of feel like, in sort of, um, scripted context, we get more of Cat than we do of, of of Paul.
2: Yeah, it felt like a brother. no you mentioned it, it did feel like a brother brother relationship at, mm-hmm. at certain points. But yeah, I just it it's just that small little thing there of I wish they had have taken a little bit more time with these boys because I would have felt more at the end and I and that's the thing the only one I felt for when they died was was Paul because you, you'd seen yeah. him break and you'd seen him break and rebuild himself break again and then die but with the rest well, of them you hadn't and Kat's so just quickly we have to mention it Cat's death is bollocks
3: in this yeah yeah it, so in in the book and in the other adaptations he's killed by a, a shrapnel splinter yeah which I think hits him in the head and, and kills him or pretty quick leg
2: isn't it yeah I can't I, remember. I, well, I think it varies. I think okay. I think
3: it might actually vary. Uh, it, it might be legging because um, they carry him in the seventy nine version, don't they? Yes, that's it. Yeah. They try to. Anyway, it it doesn't matter. He's, he's hit by shrapnel, and that's what kills him. Um, and that is a completely different death to what's in this.
2: Yeah. So in this one, they've they've stolen that goose before. They've both got away with it. They both enjoy mm. this goose, and then the wars are the wars coming to an end the, the now. The goose scene's nice. Yeah, the it's, goose it, lovely. It's great. It's a one nice of the bonding. few. Bonding sequences yeah, it, they have, it, and that's very short, but it's at it's, least it's, it's there. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So then they go and steal this goose again because they want to celebrate the end of the war with who they've got who they've got left of their friendship group. And um they go and steal the go-goose, no bother. They don't get a goose this time, they get some eggs. And you see the farmer come out of his gun again, takes pot shots of mm-hmm. the boys and misses. And then this child, the farmer's child comes out of nowhere. And you, you see him he stares at the boys bleakly and then it cuts and then uh Paul and Kat enjoy some eggs and then um cat's in a forest having a whiz and the boy comes out of absolutely nowhere and just shoots cat. Yeah. And it's like okay, like that happened, why did that happen? There's no previous motive set up for this boy, he's only in it once. You know, I had to make some ridiculous headcanon to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my thoughts were being, oh, okay, they stole the goose before, and the boy went hungry, his family went hungry, or some crap, and oh, now he's having it. He's just gonna have his revenge on Cat for stealing the goose, but that that's not enough. There, you you had. He's a representing
3: very, the um, yeah film the theory revenge of the, the French people against the yeah. pillaging and ransacking of
2: of his country by the German army. That works, Matt. But it it's such an odd death for him. <laughs> if yeah. if the farmer had killed him, that had been fine. Yeah, because that you could have had so much discussions there. You could have said, you know, oh, all this fighting to be killed by a farmer. You know, like that mm-hmm. could have been interesting for the movie. But to have the son, I don't know. I think it could be something about the innocence of youth or something being lost again. It, the, it's just yeah, so much yeah. too much it, it's, to dig into. It's in another
3: there. element of pointlessness of war because paul carries him back to the hospital he tries to flag down some passing lorries I Say what well, the german army is very mechanized in this film not a lot of horses but there's like three horses um which is definitely not representative of um the reality at that point mm. um but he, he gets into the hospital and he's already died um yep. and the, the doctor is typical film doctor where he's nonchalant about death because he experiences so much of it and that's a pretty common characterization yeah. probably quite accurate to a degree tells him it's black blood it's from his liver he's poisoned he's dead um yeah,
2: yeah brown bread
3: yeah um and it's it's i feel i feel for paul in that moment because he's alone mm. um and it's it's a hard moment because in, in the film in the previous films and i possibly in the book cat dies when some of the original group are still alive if mm-hmm. i remember rightly there's one I think there's at least one person that's still alive, but I might be misremembering that. It's been a little while. But it's 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 interesting. I, th- I found the deaths of of Paul and, and and Kat, the changes that were made really jarring. Um I, I I wanted to touch on something that Rob S. said on on Twitter, who's a, a German um, historian. And he noted that um the writers of the film in German took a lot of um care with uh German regional dialects, mm. uh, and, and character traits. Um, and a lot of that is lost in the, the translation that yeah. Netflix provides. And he said, uh, a lot of the lack of character depth about which many of the English speaking viewers have complained is perhaps because these nuances that are in the language are lost in the yeah. translation.
2: That's a complete a fair um, assessment. Yeah.
3: And it, it that, we, I have no way of gauging that. There's no. a few bits where, we talked about this earlier, but there's a few bits where we, we, we thought that the translation was a little curtailed,
2: mm. um,
3: a little too specific in places. Yeah, there's, um, it's, it's
2: such a small thing. Because like, I got a small grasp of German and there's some subtitles that don't completely... Mm. I know you don't have to do a complete translation, but there's just some words I'm thinking, well, that's not what that word is. You've just made, you yeah. just put, like you've truncated that. At the end of a sentence mm. for no reason, mm. yeah, it's just small, small things. But no, I can totally get it being lost. And I'm, and to be, and just to remind the listeners, we watched German version with subtitles. So yeah, we didn't watch the dub. We didn't watch the dub. Uh, no. Netflix dubs are just trash anyway for me. Just dubs
3: in general always just take me out of the moment. I, I'm, I'm much more distracted by the dub than I am reading subtitles. What, what also disappointed me is we lose the training sequences of them. Of them training, and that is again a detriment to character development. So we we lose um, completely as Sergeant Himmelstross their nightmare, drill Sergeant, mm-hmm. who then arrives on the front line when things that from become the so 79 version, Yeah, yeah. Ian Holm plays him brilliantly, mm. and he has his comeuppance uh, when he finally gets into battle. Paul's um, the hardened soldier at that point, and Himmelstross is, you know, never experienced that kind of war
2: yeah um well i think juxtaposing you there i i didn't mind that i like the fact it just thrust these yeah boys into the front fair. line i thought that was good affecting enough yeah because how many how many well, training camp sequences do we need to see in films
3: there's a lot of true them. true um that is true um
2: that's just me though that you know it's i, yeah, I get it no i
3: i i i can i can get behind that that, that is an element of that but again it does remove some of that opportunity for character development
2: and and, the, that's and not and yet say, again you are right yeah
3: but that's not to say there isn't character development there and i think there's more than people give the film credit for because i feel it when both cat and paul die i feel it when um is it jordan who stabs his neck
2: yes in the hospital
3: yeah i felt that deeply i thought that was tragic um and i, I thought that whole sequence was really well handled with they take soup for him um, there's that bit that's in in the book where the, the cook says, I've cooked for 200 men. There's only 85 of you here. And they take soup to him and he asks them if they brought cutlery. And as they're eating their soup because they're starving themselves, he takes the fork and stabs his neck because he knows he's going to die and he, or he's going to be maimed and he can't continue to be maimed. He wants to be a ranger, doesn't he, after? He does, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and that, that bit is very affecting um, as much an anti-war film as any of the others and as, and as the actual yeah. source material is, it's but it's in the most direct way possible. Mm. Um, it's like, look at this abhorrent situation that men have created and men have been thrust into. Yeah. It dispenses with character development almost to the point of, of no return. Um, but I think it does focus down on the two characters as, as we've talked about. And we're supposed to experience the war through them. mm um, and I, I, I feel the deaths, the losses.
2: They hit the of, hardest of
3: them, yeah, because we know them the
2: best. Mm. Um, so there is character development there, but it's very subtle. I'd forgotten had um, died until the end when you see his bit of poster again. I'd forgotten yeah, he'd died. Yeah, you know, Well, yeah, he's lost. Yeah, that. you know. If you hadn't have Franz's scarf, I would forget Franz had died.
3: Well, Franz is the only. His interactions with those French
2: girls is the only nod to those french girls being yeah. in the oh i'm glad the they cut form. that because i yeah i mean it, the, in a way it's just it keeps you in the war it keeps you in that part yeah. of it i know people are annoyed because he doesn't have his furlough but he doesn't see how yeah, different things home, are at
3: home and he doesn't yeah. have the the interaction with his parents mm. yeah and that is very effective
2: well, i quite it, i like the fact it kept it where it kept it yeah it's utilitarian yeah.
3: it is mm. um but to sum up, I love the sound design. I love the ominous score. I love the costuming and the practical effects. The acting was fabulous. Yep. Um, despite um, the fact that it changes so much from the source material, I can accept that. I think it would have been better perhaps without the negotiation elements or perhaps even if it had been released under a different name because so much is different. From the source material, oh, it could yeah, have been inspired by one of
2: them people.
3: <laughs> I am. I, it could have been. I'm not. I. I don't mind that it was released under the "All Quiet on the Western Front" you know, mark. Um, but it could have easily got you could fucking. Have easily been theater, different Matt,
2: people chop and change things all the fucking time. <laughs> God,
3: i a drama been...
2: degree. We've got to make it fresh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> different characters, different title. It could have been, um, because it's just really different. It's a grim depiction of war, but it feels really authentic. Yes. Um, and it has the same anti-war message, but it delivers it in a much more stark, utilitarian way. Mm. But in the end, it has the same goal and same effect as the original source material, I think, in that it shows what war can do to individuals.
2: Yeah, i go for that. I, I agree with you with the cutting of, I, I say, get rid of Brul's part and make that into its own thing because it's good enough Um, because there's some terrific writing in those sequences that is wasted Um, Mm. I I just and then I wish maybe keep it as is but maybe have a few scenes where the guys chat to each other a little bit more
4: because there's only
2: a couple of those and apart from that I did really enjoy it Um, I think the cinematography some of the best cinematography I've seen in a war film up till now do you you know
3: I was thinking about this earlier and the cinematography and the, the way that it depicts the war reminds me so much of the work of um otto dix a german artist who was mm. a soldier during the war yeah. and his stark horrific and and like totally unflinching depictions yeah. of war there's a lot of Kubrickian yeah. perspective shots as
2: well which really i really liked. like yeah mm. really nice and then just the, some of the the framing of the shots as well i think the mm. you know i do think the part of him in, in on his knees in the dugout is where it should have ended because that is a I agree. Scene that itself. would have been a
3: poignant end. Yeah. Him, him being found by the recruit, that he so, sort of saves
2: it's that circle
3: thing. It's too much. Yeah. I, I don't think it was needed. And the recruit takes the scar. It's scarf. too
2: on the nose of him saving the youth of innocence again. It's too. Yeah. Over the head. I don't need it. You know, I yeah, Give it me some agency as a viewer. Make me think a bit more. I don't need to be spoon fed. This isn't a Marvel film. I don't need to be fucking handheld yeah. through it. You know, this is this is a this is an adaptation of an anti-war seminal novel. I don't need you to fucking hold my hand and beat me with tropes. <laughs> and luckily, this film doesn't do it as much. No,
3: no, it's not. But not, I would recommend it. The Guiltiest.
2: I just think, yeah, I just think it's not a hundred percent the movie that some people want it to be. For me, mm. I think it's yes, I would it's agree. It's better. That. It's better than nineteen seventeen. I think that's what yeah, I'm gonna go with.
3: Yeah, I, I'd say it's grittier. Much, yeah. I, I, like, I like the, Much the message. Much as as well. It is, yeah, it is. I would agree there too. Not that I didn't like 1917. We can talk about that when we finally review 1917. Yeah, fine. I uh, <laughs> did that in,
2: 20, <laughs> in
3: 2017. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, compared to another another World War One movie, which we've touched in a um, um, show and tell episode, was The Rifleman.
2: Yes, I've seen a few uh, people like it to that. Yeah,
3: um, and it's some of the the combat scenes are, you know, akin to that, and it works really well. And mm. the rifleman has a very human element to it as well.
2: It does. I think this is, you can put this on a par with twenty seventeen's Journey's End as the two mm. g- best first World War films in the West of the twenty first century. Yeah, I think that's fair, and it's good. Yeah. I'm. I like, I'm interested to see how There's it's going to do. Special right
3: there, discussing. <laughs> 21st century depictions of World War One. Yeah, that'd be interesting.
2: Get a round table for that one. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Yeah, that's one of my concept, long-term concepts for the show, do round tables. Anyway, um, no, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad that Netflix are backing movies like this. Um, if they're going to do more of that, please I keep doing it. I hope that it
3: has the effect of engaging with people, mm-hmm. shocking people, making yeah. people want to go and read the, the novel, find out more about the end of the war yeah people don't appreciate how the war ended in the no. field yeah it, for me as a, as a like a child i often thought that it was stalemate till the end i didn't mm. realize there was until I no, studied, yeah. there was so much movement and um the the fluidity and the retreat and and the, the offensives that isn't necessarily reflected in this film but you know we can't have everything
2: well no but at least we got something and at least it wasn't a complete pile of trash because it would have been such a shame. I mean, And I, I hope we get more more films off I of, do too. Of,
3: of an equal calibre because this is very good. Adapt, adapt remark sequel yeah, way back.
2: Do that. Make a modern remake of that. Yeah, do that. Yeah. That'd be great. Hit us up on the Twitter or the Facebook if you've got any thoughts. And as always, you can visit fightingonfilm.com to catch the entire back catalogue of the film starting from episode one. If you have a foth binge, do let us know and we'll catch you next week.